0: Motown Rundown. We are back, believe it or not. It is Wednesday, March 23rd. I know we've been gone for some time. Gosh, do we have a lot to get to today? We're doing all four teams. I do want to talk about March Madness to start the show, but before we get into it all, guys, it's good to see your faces. How are we? How are we feeling? Post St. Patrick's Day. Time's flying by when you're having fun. It's a great time of year. Baseball is back. We got teased with a little bit of some some good weather, and now we're right back to being miserable. But uh, basketball is here. We'll talk March Madness. As I said, we're doing all four teams. But how are we doing, fellas? Update the people.
1: I am great. Also, I have to let our people know that we're like friends here, so like we like chat throughout. We just haven't had an episode out. So give us some slack. Cut us a little slack. We all know everyone is fine. It's not like I'm sitting over here wondering if Collins, like, walked off a bridge or something because we've been in touch. But our listeners haven't heard us. There's questions
0: after Sunday.
1: Numerous questions after Sunday, Colin <laughs> says.
0: Yeah. As to right. whether or not Ryan Collins was alive. Yeah, there's questions. I got a text today from a buddy. He was like, dude, are you guys recording a new podcast or what's going on? Like, did the band break up? But no, we're here. Um, we are here. We're alive. As I've said before, I mean, at this point in our careers with this podcast, when the lions are not in season, that's like our way of holding us accountable of recording every single week. But, uh, it's kind of a fly by the seat of your pants deal, but we appreciate the loyal listeners and people tune in for the first time. You picked a great episode to jump into because I got a feeling this is going to be a good one. I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't care, but we're just rolling. The first thing I'd like to talk about now that we've done our wellness check, per usual. We got to talk March madness. And I'm a little bit upset that we didn't get an episode in before the tournament started. That's okay. Um, God, there's so many different angles to attack it. I want to talk about Michigan state basketball for sure. Um, but I will say I I'm a big sports guy. I would say I wouldn't be on this podcast if I wasn't, I, I will say the basketball is probably like my least favorite of the four major sports, but I'll tell you guys, if, if, if it wasn't very apparent beforehand, coming off of even, I would even say coming off of Thursday. Heck, I'd even say coming off of the first four game between Rutgers and Notre Dame. I am going to go on record right now and tell you that March Madness is probably my favorite sporting event, tournament, championship, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't know if it gets any better. And I know this is not like some glaring hot take, but for whatever reason, the, the first weekend of the tournament this year really did something to me. And I don't know if it's like, some of the Cinderella runs being like St. Peter's. And if you want to call Miami a Cinderella, Iowa State, great. But I just feel like we've had so many great games. There hasn't been a ton of blowouts like the, I guess you could say the Indiana game, the 12-5 was a blowout. Um, Kansas had a blowout. In there, but there's been a lot of games that have been like close and you're interested in. Well, and yeah. It feels you like you, every game I'm gambling
1: on. You can count I can't the blowouts on game. one hand. I mean, you can count the blowouts on is one great. hand. Which is thing, great. The thing is, Ravs, you're exactly right, because March Madness, I, I guess the one criticism that people who hate life have about it is that it's an unconventional way to crown a champion. Like you can have a great season and then you just play one bad game and you're out. But I, that to me is what's unique about March Madness, and what makes it so great. Like the NFL, I know, is one and done, but we all know it's different, right? Because it's a different game and the way it, the, the shots fall, the way it is. It's just so beautiful and it's perfect. And it's been awesome. And, Rabs, I don't want to get on a tangent here, but if I'm doing a little projecting here, I think Miami might go to the final four because they're – because they got Iowa State in the in the in the Sweet 16, then yeah, they got. I Kent. have them there. Thank you very much. Oh, and then they got Kansas. They got they got Bill Self and his history of just collapsing yeah, due for a
0: choke. They're due yes, for a choke.
1: They are due for a choke. So that that's that. But I got Arkansas winning the whole thing. I'm curious to hear oh, what, just, 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 what. Well, I I had that beforehand. I'm not saying that now. I'm saying that was my no. bracket pick. But Collins, what was your what was your bracket pick? I want to know.
2: I had Texas Tech winning it all.
0: So wow. Strong. This is a big game for you coming up tomorrow.
1: Then, well, Collins, I want Collins. I really want to see, I want to see Texas Tech versus Arkansas because they literally play the same exact brand of basketball.
2: And they played last year in the tournament too. Um, Tournament's the best four days of the year. It's my favorite four days of the year. It's always a bummer when Michigan State's not that good like they were this year, though, because it's really nice to have these extra four days of hype on your team, and you kind of lose the juice a little bit in the sweet scene when your team's not playing in it. But, I mean, the first four days are undefeated, like you said, Ravs. And I think my biggest pet peeve is when people in sports talk about, oh, the best team doesn't always win. It's That's, like, always the case in every sport. And I actually think, when you think of college basketball, I truly think the best team usually wins the NCAA tournament. I really, like, there is very little, like, there's UConn, and there's like two UConn teams in the last 20 years. Other than that, you look back at the teams that have won a national title. They're all teams that have pedigree for three to four years that have really experienced teams or like a one seed. You know what I mean? So I, I just – I always hated that argument, but I love the tournament. It's my favorite time of the year. It's the best. College basketball are my favorite sport, period, so I don't know.
0: I was just – this was, and I, I will say going back to college, and this was probably for any of the kids listening out there, I advise you to go to class. you you, you and your family. And it's your, not this.
2: No, it's the, you don't go to class on Thursday or Friday. Okay. That's the so correct I, advisement.
0: So back to my, back to my point, I would, I would probably tell you that throughout my four years in college, I don't think I missed, like I saw a part of every single game. I don't know if I went to class the Thursday and Friday that the tournament starts in any of my four years. Beside the point, I advise everyone to go to class. well, the beauty
2: of college is half the time is you didn't have classes on those times. Like you would have a 1020, and then maybe you have a later class in the day, and you're like, Oh, I just skip that one, right. and you either right. don't have a Friday
0: one. That's why college right. is so great. But fair um, enough. Yeah. I,
2: it's it's uh it's fantastic.
0: It's just like the non the nonstop basketball and how every game like there's something to every game and and like i said this year there's only been like a maybe a handful of blowouts which always helps but just the fact that i'm trying to think back to what i was at least saturday and sunday i had some time to like sit down and watch all the games but it's just like From noon to literally midnight, you're just sitting there watching basketball. And as I said, it seemed like every single game that I was financially invested in, I couldn't just get a breather where I was just sitting there watching and enjoying, okay, what's in the bag? I mean, Murray State, the first night against San Francisco, blowing a nine-point lead going to overtime. Back and forth between Illinois and uh, whoever they played, Houston. Like all, all these different things that just make it so amazing. And it's like you're sitting there and you're sweating through a game and you're, like, on the ground as the game comes to a close. And you look at the clock and you're like, oh, the 5 o'clock game just ended. I still have, like, five more games to get through the end. It's unbelievable. And the fact that the fact that the tournament started on St. Patrick's Day, I don't know if it does it every single year, but I was out in Ann Arbor on St. Patrick's Day, tough city, but I had it to doesn't, but. It was, I mean, just the icing on the cake. Like, I was having a good time, vibes were high. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day outside. But I'm still the one guy that's out there at the dental. Fred DSD, shout out DSD. I'm still the one guy. Everyone's outside in the yard playing beer pong. I'm inside on the couch on the ground. They're like, dude, what's wrong? I'm like, I need three more points before the half ends. Like that's how. It, like it just it's amazing. And for the people that well, get it, get it, and it's the best. But I, I, I think just, everyone gets it. It was it was great. I I am just so happy and thankful that we had this weekend. You're right, Collins. And we can talk about Michigan state in a second, but to not like to, after the first weekend. And then I know that the juice kind of dies down a bit going into the sweet 16, but I'm just so excited to do it all over again, starting tomorrow and having money on the games, my bracket right now, I'm in like the 60th percentile. I don't think I've had a, a there has not been a year in my life where I have had such a bad first day and first two days. The first two days don't matter. You just need your final four
1: teams to survive. Yeah, but
0: I had Iowa in my final four, and I had Kentucky in my national championship game. It's been great watching. Who's who's your Uh, champion? My champion is Arizona. And uh, again, we talk about, I don't don't get any easy games. I got to watch TCU. I didn't even know TCU had a basketball program. And I'm watching that. That was an unbelievable game too. Unbelievable game. Uh Benedict Matherin or whatever his name is, phenomenal. I just think Arizona, they're the biggest team in the country. I think guard play, they meet they check all the boxes as far as guard play is concerned. They can hang with anyone in the country. I like how deep they can go into their bench. Or they can get they can get to the ninth and tenth guy on their bench. I, I, I just thought they had the juice. They got the moxie. I like it. Pac-12 champs, conference of champions. So that's my team. And they gave me a scare against TCU, but it's but it's they should great. have
2: lost. They got a gift from the officials, but whatever. Um, I'm not
0: gonna I'm not gonna lie. They, yeah,
2: they um, yeah. I I I don't want to like break down my bracket, but I going on Michigan State. it's just Sunday absolutely ripped my heart out, and it should never rip my heart out because this team's not that good. But, like, I can't – I can count on, like, my hand, how many times I've watched Michigan State play, like, a really, really good game and lose. And that had to be, like, the last – I can't even remember the last time in the tournament it's happened where they played really, really well and lost, and they just lost to a better team. It was very demoralizing. Anyone who was like, oh, I was happy for the fight, I was like, not necessarily. Like, we're Michigan State. We're supposed to have great talent, and we probably played our A-plus game and I know, dude, played their A plus team, but we still lost. That stops. I don't know.
1: Yeah, Collins. I will say. Uh, so I had the privilege yeah, of Trent. Being... You
0: were there, Trent. Yeah. You were there. Give us the give us the whole shebang.
1: Well, the the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. It was the best I've ever been in. I don't think I'll ever be in a better one. I will say, Bon Secours Wellness Arena, or whatever the fuck it's called, is terrible. That place is an absolute hack job. Rabs. It's a hockey. It is an arena.
0: ECHL arena. Yeah. 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 So it's
1: I don't. Cool. I don't know. I from the from that standpoint. What I'm do you not mean sure.
2: atmosphere? Why was the atmosphere? So because good?
1: because it was just amazing. Like, um, I mean, it was mostly Duke fans, obviously, because it's front, you know, it's a couple home hours. game for Duke, yeah, home game for Duke. Lot, but much, the but there were a fair amount of Michigan State fans, probably like a fourth of the arena. Considering the circumstances, that's like a good amount. And then just you 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 know when like okay, so obviously, have you ranking, ever
2: been? Trent to a uh, NCAA tournament first and second round?
1: No. So this is my third year They're covering awesome. the team. This is my third awesome. year covering the team and my first year being able to go to a game because my first year there was no tournament. and my second year, they didn't let us go because they were like doing – they weren't letting student media go. So I finally got to go. I was very grateful. The Davidson game was awesome. But my point is um, – so the Duke game, when they do the starting lineups, they alternate. They go like one and one and one and one for each team. I hate and it. And, and Tom, no, I hate it too, rabs. but the cool thing about it was Tom Izzo got just as loud of cheers as Coach K, I swear to you. Like, everyone loves Tom Izzo, and it, it's, it's kind of cool to, like, get that kind of atmosphere. And then at the beginning of the game, I mean, having the ball was, like, worth its weight in gold. I mean, it was just so intense and so just... Like it felt like such a do or die game. And it really felt like both teams were on a level playing field, which was cool because you never really get that with a two and a seven matchup. So it was I don't know. It was it was a great atmosphere. I've never been in a better one. The arena, arena kind of stunk, but I, I I will say that that was awesome. And 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 it sucked that we lost, Collins. I agree.
2: Well, what's it called? I I'm just like Michigan State, like I think I honestly think they play like any other two seed, they probably win.
1: Well, I don't necessarily agree, I, I think Duke was the worst two-seed.
2: I, do, I don't disagree with that, but I also think Duke played out of their minds in that first half.
1: Well, yeah, and maybe that's what it takes to to, to beat Michigan State. I don't know. Like
2: That's what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. saying, Trent, they, they played someone who played, like they didn't get someone's like B-plus game. Like, Palo ben is making contested 15-footers the
1: entire yeah. game. No, and, Collins, that's where, like, you know, a lot of times people Which say – Oh,
2: my God. my my."
1: Collins, myself included, a lot of times people say, oh, coaching wins in March or seniority wins in March. And I and I would agree with that, but, like, let's be honest about it, probably eight times out of ten, the best player on the floor wins in March. And that's what Ben Carroll was, and he showed that, and you were right. So that just – it sucked that you got to go out that way because you're right, the The Spartans played as good of a game as they have all year. And it just – I think they're going to be good next year. I think they're going to be good No, they're going to be really good. I that's think, all – I mean – Whole different conversation, but they go to the transfer portal. Yeah. They get another big. They're going to be right back, man, and obviously a lot better. I think they'll be, like, a top three seed next year.
2: Do you think Bingham comes back No, for someone who covered the team? No. Do you think any I, of them come
1: back? If anyone, Gabe Brown, but I don't think anyone's coming back.
2: I heard – what was that Tyson Walker Instagram posted Joey – how was return of Joey Buffett? Do you see that?
1: Yeah, I think that was just referring to, like, the – he dropped 27. I, I don't think any of them are coming back.
0: Let me put it that Look, way. I, I, I would say all three should come back. You really? Well, you don't think I'm... any of them come back? What the hell is Marcus Bingham going to do?
1: Marcus Another Bingham school? will get he'll get drafted. He'll get drafted, drafted, drafted to the NBA? Yes, in the second round, he'll get drafted. He can knock down three. No 40s. shot. No. Yes, he will. He'll get drafted, like, in the 40s, like, comfortably. He
2: Jeez. can't play 20 minutes, Trent.
1: Well, I know, but you know how this works. They draft on potential. <laughs> I know he's a senior, but Whatever. someone someone will draft Whatever. him just because he's 6'11", can shoot, and he can block a lot of shots. So someone Whatever. will take him.
0: Hey, I'll just say for my two cents on the Michigan State basketball, I did not think that the Davidson game was going to be a problem for them. And I maybe I was not... Davidson was good. It. Yeah, it was... I mean, it ended up being also a really good game. Also, my dumbass taking Michigan state minus one instead of just the money line. And I actually got screwed on the last play of the game. Well, that line was all over the place. Yeah. Then it got the plus one. So I got it at a bad time yeah. either way. But I just said like, Hey, get, do your job and get through the Davidson game. Cause you're, you're supposed to win that. And they did everything else is going to be gravy. I was so happy with how they played against Duke. And when they ended up going up five or however much they were up that, that was kind of when the switch flipped for me where I was like, okay, like, win the game now. Like, now you should win. You you somehow got yourself on top. You should win this game. And they played a great, like, 38 minutes. And in the last couple minutes, it just all, all kind of fell apart. And you really saw, like, what were everyone's frustrations for Michigan State basketball all year long kind of came to fruition because it was just sloppy. And the, the shot selection wasn't great. And it was just a mess. And it like you said, Collins, it ripped my heart out. It would have been, been so... It would have been so great to see Michigan State somehow, some way, getting themselves the sweet 16, knocking off Duke, putting Coach K six feet under figuratively, and just there would have been a a great second.
2: If they would have have ended Coach K's career, that would have been all time,
0: and I would have loved
2: that.
0: (laughs) It would have been fantastic.
2: We don't have to talk about this much longer. I just, I don't know, whatever. Can we talk about the Tigers, something that makes me happy?
0: Yes, yeah, so we can talk about the Tigers. Baseball is back. Spring training is underway. Um, a couple things, I guess, to throw in the mix before we start Tigers baseball. Um, obviously, with the spring training games, I mean, I don't know how much people really read into that kind of stuff. Um, they opened up, I think, like what? God, what was it? March 22nd? I don't even know. Where am I at? March 18th was their first game. Tied the Phillies 6-6. to Lose the Pirates. Come back. They went a slugfest against the Yankees 8-7. to um, and they drop back-to-back games against the Blue Jays and Phillies. They tie the Pirates um, today, six to six as well. So again, don't know how much people read into it, but um, what people I think should be happy with is you know the lineups that come out and they they look strong. I mean, Torkelson's in the lineup every day. Riley Green's in the lineup every day. Um, I think I saw Derek Hill hit a homer today or something. Something. I saw his name come across. My yeah, phone. he hit a
2: full bomb today.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how we want to attack this. I did want to mention before I forget to a couple signings that the Tigers did make. Um, signing my guy, who I think is going to be my Tiger for the foreseeable future, is Andrew Chafin, left-handed pitcher. Um, I'm trying to think if he's been kind of all over the place. He pitched for the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, um, but he's a lefty. He had a really strong year last year. I believe he was traded to the Cubs midway through the year last year and ended up finishing pretty strong. I think his ERA was like below two. Um, as that season progresses, I thought he got traded to the A's. Uh, may uh, might have been the A's, I don't know. He was traded somewhere, he's moved I thought he was in the A's bit. last year,
2: but I, to be honest, Raps, I had no idea who he was until we signed him.
0: I like his mustache, I like his mustache and his hair, and he's a bigger, chunky guy, so we appreciate that. Um, Tigers also signed Michael Pineda, um, big right handed pitcher, well done, um, most formally playing for the Twins. Is that the same guy that, like, there's that video on YouTube of he had pine tar on his neck when he was playing? Yeah, I him.
2: remember, watching. I was on spring break in Punta, uh, now in Punta Donna in Myrtle Beach, my sophomore year of high school, watching Sunday Night Baseball and getting kicked out in the first inning for having stuff on his neck.
0: Yes, so that is our, uh, our my Bonita. He, he has gained a hundred pounds since he was playing for the Yankees. Yeah, he's, he's a, a big
2: boy. He pitched on the Twins, too. They gave him a decent contract.
0: Yeah, so that's where he was uh, most recently. But other than that, I mean, you, you see guys like – like was it Cody Clemens, Casey Clemens? What's his first name? Cody Clemens. Cody Clemens is getting some time. Um, that Ryan Kreidler, the shortstop, uh, was also – I saw he had a Grand Slam today, I'm pretty sure. So Did you guys um, see a Shep's call on the? drift? Yes, yeah, so he lost his mind. Yeah, it was great. At when Ditcherson's
2: is thrown about his
0: call, he's like, oh, it's gone. Yeah, baby, woo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Matt Shepard for you. But, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, thoughts, opinions on the signings or just how the roster's shaping up. I think we still probably have uh, maybe another week until we get into, like, who's going to end up making the roster, who's not. Uh, Opening day is on April 8th uh, in Detroit, which is awesome. They start the uh, season at home. So that'll be a big day in Detroit. But, yeah, I don't know how we want to attack it, but Tigers baseball back. It's looking great.
1: Okay, Collins, do you want to do you want to start or you want me to go?
0: Bueller. I don't know if he's frozen or if he just what is he doing? What's it called? Can we attack it first by because every tiger
2: fan I talk to? Do you not hear me?
0: No, we 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 hear hear you. We do. It's it sounds like you're talking through a potato. We hear you. We can't your face isn't moving on Zoom, but we can did did we did we preference?
2: Did you guys preference that I'm on my phone right now because I don't have Wi-Fi?
1: Yes, let me do it right now. Collins is not his iPhone. Ryan Collins is using his iPhone. Disclaimer.
0: Disclaimer. Ryan Collins has his AirPods in. He is using his iPhone because he is dedicated to the craft. He does not have Wi-Fi in his house somehow, which is strange because he lives in a very affluent area and went to a private school. But he does not have Wi-Fi today, but he's doing his best. So Thank you, Ryan Collins, for your service. (laughs) You may continue now that we see. Well, I, if
2: you guys stay not hear me, whatever, if you, I, I don't know if I can be heard or whatever, but my question was, I think for every Tiger fan basically is the, what is your feeling on Torque and Green? And if you don't want them on the opening day roster, why?
1: Well, yeah, I think, I think they both should be on the opening roster. Cause I don't see why not we laid out last year at the end of the year, kind of like what, the, what next year's rotation should be in terms of the hitting rotation, pitch all that good stuff. And those two guys were both on there for all three of us. So it's just good to see that they're both kind of holding their own in the pre and what is it? The grapefruit, re, the grapefruit league. Yeah. Rabs? I think so. The, yeah. They're in the grapefruit. Yeah. Riley green cranked a Homer in an old two count the other day. Like I'll take it, man. I I just, these guys and Rabs. I know you're a Victor Reyes guy. He has now become your perfect, like fourth outfielder. So there's just, I'm getting off the rails, but to go back to the signings themselves, I think it's cool because you bolster your bullpen, obviously an area where the Tigers have struggled forever and you finally have some juice going into the season, a team that you think might be able to make some noise and you bolster the bullpen a little bit and do your thing, especially in a year where Spencer Tor, not Spencer, Spencer Turnbull is uh, is not going to play, right? Because of his Tommy John. Yeah, I don't know. There was I was reading something. That, yeah. Like
0: he's going to arbitration with the Tigers now with his contract, which is expected. Which because, I don't understand. Well, well he's hurt. Well, I think well, that's the thing well, is he's
2: trying I, to get paid. In. They just pay mattress. Yeah, but it's, it revs It's not like over three million dollars. It's over seven
0: hundred K. Oh, is it really? Well, yeah. It's not, it seems like we're in the pinching pennies pennies days of Detroit Tigers baseball, unfortunately. So who knows? No, I but either way, I trent, I would agree with you as far as the two guys that were mentioned being on the roster. I I mean so far through a handful of spring trainings games, I would say, yeah, why not? I just think that you're in a spot to where it sets up perfectly that it sounds like Miguel Cabrera for I read this earlier on Twitter, so who knows if it's correct or not, but it sounds like Miggy's a bit more comfortable with taking less time at first base. I know that was one of his things that, you know, AJ Hinch wanted to get him time at first because he likes playing first. And I always say that he's not as bad of a fielder as people would think, but um, I, I know the, the the Spencer Torkelson experiment with with like him, Oh, we're going to try him out at third base. I don't know if it was just like smoke and mirrors or what it was, but I mean, he can, he can be, he should be your first baseman on opening day. I have no problem with that whatsoever and you know if the, if the spring training progresses and they feel like he needs more at bats in Triple A, like I guess that's fine. I don't know how much Triple A ball, if any, he got in last year with Riley Green. He um, played I played for about a
2: month on the Mudhounds.
0: Good inside baseball there as a Toledo guy, Collins. Yeah, I would I mean. I don't know. I would say that Riley Green I'm probably more comfortable with having up than Spencer Torkelson. I just, I feel like the bat is more consistent from everything that I've read and uh, you've seen as far as the sample size last year and AAA and in minor league ball. But I mean, this is, you know, I've, I have been talking about the outfield for the last, it feels like two years with, you know, Collins you or or Trent, you say that Victor Reyes is setting up to be the perfect like fourth outfielder Uh, to that. I would say, I don't know, because you have Robbie Grossman that you're going to have to play every day you have Riley Green that you're not going to want to play every single day you have dad no no no, Akil
1: Badu I think I think it's I think it's Badu it's it's, it's Badu Grossman and Green every day and then I think Victor Reyes kind of shuffles in if I have to kiss goodbye to Derek Hill I know he's young but he has been around for a bit he's gotten a few shots so is Reyes but I just I read a column the other day about how Reyes seems to have found his velocity a little bit more. So, I, I again, I don't know. I haven't been watching a ton of the Grapefruit League. Reyes Find out. gained
2: 20 pounds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really? OK, so may, maybe that's the key, Collins. That's, again, very good inside Genius. baseball by Ryan Collins. But I
2: guys, I literally, ever since Michigan State lost, I've just been all in on Tigers. That's all I have.
1: <laughs> okay, well, no, Collins, I love that. But my, my point in saying that was simply just, I read this thing about Victor Reyes. I don't think he's a starting caliber guy anymore, given the roster you have. I definitely think, like, uh, last year, Rabs and I were on our high horse about Robbie Grossman every other show, and Collins was always the voice of reason, like, hey, guys, he's good. He hits for contact. He's, he's got the best numbers on the team in terms of getting on base. So I get that. So he's got to be out there. Then, obviously, Akil Badu has to be out there because you want him to take a step. And then you got to get Riley Green going. So I think those are your three guys. Uh, you can argue whether or not uh, – Green's probably the center fielder. And then you can argue whether or not to put Grossman or Badu in left and right and what, what, what have you. So I don't know. That's kind of what I got. And Victor Reyes, your fourth guy. Naz Cameron, your assurance guy.
2: I, I, I personally think Derrick Hill needs to be on the roster.
1: Well, I think he has to be on the him. roster for sure. I just don't think he's a starter. Or even your fourth just
2: guy. Because he is – elite elite in the field and he actually brings you something in a substitute capacity where you can bring him like hey maybe maybe just doubled in the top of the eighth let's go put Derek Hill because that's what a single he's scoring it doesn't matter where it's from he's scoring and it's nice to have a couple guys like that um I saw that they played green and center it seems like it's gonna be Badu and center and green and right and Grossman and left I mean Grossman's not a great outfielder by any means. And, but, I, I mean, if Victor Reyes is squeezed out, I honestly don't think it's the end of the world. I, I, if you're going to use him as a fourth outfielder, I, I would much prefer Derek Hill. And I love Victor Reyes. I, 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 I toot the horn for Victor Reyes harder than anyone. But I think Derek Hill gives you more. If you're trying to win, win right now. I think Derek Hill gives you more utility and more use than Victor Reyes does as your fourth outfielder.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that Derek Hill is definitely better in the field and his speed is much better than Victor Reyes. So to that point, I completely agree. The problem you're running into now is like, you know, you have your, and you still have your Harold Castro's and Willie Castro's in the mix. And it's like, those are guys that probably are more primarily infielders than outfielders 100%. So I would hope the days of trying to like, Oh, Willie Castro starting in left field today, for whatever reason, never again.
2: Please, that, that I think
0: those, that ship is sailed. So it's going to come down to, you know, I don't think that, that Clemens is a guy that's ready to make the jump. I mean, I, I would hope that Isak Paredes is a guy that they feel comfortable having on the major league roster to start the year. But Victor Reyes to me is is not a guy that is, I, I don't think that he has any business starting the year in AAA. I think it, it's one of no, those deals no. where it's like if, if he makes the roster great, if not, then you're going to have to move him because, I mean, and, and I look at, like, Daz Cameron. I mean, the the if the if Tigers have been trying to get Daz Cameron a spot in the outfield for the last, you know, probably last year was the first time he got a real crack, and, like, it doesn't seem like the bat's there yet. So that's a guy I don't mind starting the year in AAA, but I would hope if, if there's – one piece of any of these trades that the Tigers have ever made throughout the last decade. If there's one guy that can like make it out and work, I'd love for it to be Daz Cameron. I don't know who the hell else it can be. Jamer has been really solid. Like Jamer has been a, a really good piece of a nothing trade where you, would you trade Justin Wilson and Alex Avila for him? Or was that the cost? That was Adams our
2: best deal. That was the best trade. we Yeah.
0: Made. So it's like you trade away the best player on your team and Justin Verlander and you get back what well, a Daz Cameron, who, is not going to get a starting spot. and Franklin, spot and
2: Franklin Perez's blisters.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's, it's probably a song for next week. So we don't dwell too much, too much on it. But um, I, I, you know, as with, with every year, I am a baseball guy. I love the Tigers and I'm always excited for baseball to be back. Um, Cause it's, you know, just the, if, if anything, it's a great way to spend the summer night in Detroit. But more so than that, I would say that I think that this team is is really making another has had another good enough offseason to where you're excited to watch the team, and now you're going to have your you know your Riley Green and your Spencer Torkelson are going to be your Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider of the Detroit Tigers, and that should excite people because it's been giving people juice all year long for the Wings, and so now that you're going to have those guys, I would hope they make the opening day roster, and I'm excited. To me, you know, I mix I as far as pitching goes, is going to be another big question mark. Um, I, I there's I feel like there's a lot, a lot of names in the mix that I'm not even thinking of. The Alex Langs of the world, the Funkhausers. Um, you know, uh, Joe Jimenez, bullpen, I see, uh, somehow, somehow Joe Jimenez is still playing for this team, which is
1: unbelievable. So we'll see. I don't how understand that's
2: how that's even happening. I, I don't understand how Jimenez is on a team. Hey,
1: come on. He was an all-star like three years ago. <laughs> They had to send one. I'm kidding. I know. That's why Greg Soto went last year, but my closing thoughts on this, if I even have any, are that Colin said something interesting about five, 10 minutes ago about how if you want to win this year and I forget what his point was, it was something about, I think it was Derek Hill or something like that, but like, that's the thing is we're at a point with the Tigers where they have a legitimate chance to compete for something. I texted you guys last Saturday. It was like, I'm all in on the Tigers this year. That's not a hot take. It's just like, I'm all like, let's, let's actually do something like, come on, let's win some games this year. Let's be that five uh, or well above 500 team that they were from, you know, May until September. Like, let's actually do that this year. You know, that's where I'm at with this team and the pitching rotation too, which we didn't talk about and we don't have to. They can
2: beat the White Sox. They can beat the White Sox. Yes,
1: Collins. I I, I totally agree. They can totally beat the White Sox and you catch a couple breaks and you can find yourself in the pennant race and like in September, I'm in, I'm in. So we'll talk about I just Go
2: ahead. I just truly think the White Sox, they have a very nice lineup. They let Rondon go, and I get that Gialita. I, I just, they're, I, I think they're beatable. I don't think it's like this thing. They have some really nice pieces, like Jimenez, Robert. I, I just, I don't think they're the juggernaut that I think a lot of people kind of thought they were going to be when this rebuild kind of ended for them. Like I do think the Tigers have the pieces where they can compete with the White Sox for a division. I'm not saying they're to win the division, they can easily compete.
0: Um I would also say to end Tigers talk real slap in the face that Carlos Correa is a Minnesota Twin and that he got such a friendly deal that was like an absolutely nothing like 3 years, 34 million a year type deal. Like I it just the biggest Slap across the face of all time that you're going to have to watch him play in your division.
2: Well, it's a one-year deal, basically.
0: Oh, does he have opt-outs after the first? Both year years, he
2: has opt-outs after his first and second year.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I guys, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch the to watch the Tigers. I mean, even just looking at their roster right now, and you know, you're not like the like Michael Fulmer. He's still on your team. <laughs> I mean, like just looking up and down the roster, it's, it's going to be exciting. So, um, Tigers baseball is here, which is great. I love it. We love it. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll table discussions for now and we'll be back at it next week as spring training continues on and we're getting closer and closer to opening day. Um, now to cover team number two, let's talk some Pistons. Um, Sadiq Bay had a really big night, uh, probably a week ago or so with dropping 51 points. Um, I think they played the Hawks tonight. Not sure how that one ended up, but I'll turn the mic over to you guys to give us some Pistons updates.
1: Well, okay. So the, the I, I, again, I don't have, we haven't talked in three weeks, so, so it's, not it's not like okay, I, can, I can't, I can't, can't really reach really no,
2: thirty. They were winning by 30 at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they beat the Hawks by 20 tonight, which is awesome. The Pistons now have 20 wins. They are in the 21 club along with 27 other NBA teams. Uh, but look, the thing with the Pistons right now is Marvin Bagley's playing really great, which I love Dwayne Casey finally started Marvin Bagley and uh, Isaiah Stewart together. And they both had good games, which I love the Pistons and a Collins. You're probably more uh, equipped to rant about this, but as you look at the schedule, there are a lot of winnable games left in this last like little 12 to 15 games they have left. So I want your take on, because you're obviously a, you're, you're kind of a tank guy, so I want, I want to hear what you got to say.
2: Well, I think there's, what's it called? I think there is value and like losing and winning. Whatever. I mean, winning at the end of the year with your losing team to build some like identity, but like we're at the point of the year where it's not going to like complete, like I've this last like three week month stretch of the Pistons, they've been pretty solid and I think they've done enough winning in total where you kind of have that winning identity, especially with Cade Cunningham, who's just like yeah. I, the only way to describe Cade Cunningham is he is a winning player. Like that is who he is. That is what he does. That He doesn't have some overwhelming still. He's just a winner. That's just how he plays. So at that point, I don't think it's a matter. But like we are so close to the end of the season. They should not be playing Cade. They should not be playing Sadiq. They should be trying everything they can do to lose these games because I truly believe if they are able to get a top four talent and a pretty good draft, and they're able to hit, and I know it's hard to hit on two straight draft bits, but if they're able to hit on this draft fit, I think it like changes and speeds up this rebuild immediately. Like, immediately. You want to go on free, like, and it completely changes the conversation. From oh this K20 you got to build around them. you got to find some other pieces to a nice piece oh we have a number two already awesome we're gonna be awesome for ten years now let's start build, like I you can start building immediately after that so and I'm not saying if they fall outside of the top four it's like a disaster or something like that but you should give your chance, your like your organization the best shot for a generational talent and that's the best way to do it and you're at that point of the season where it doesn't benefit you at all winning these games. I truly don't believe that because it, you've already seen a huge sample size of these guys all playing together.
1: Well, Collins, I agree with you. The one thing that I somewhat disagree with is sitting Cade. And I know you were kind of saying that like tongue in cheek, because you just, you're saying you want the Pistons lose games. My thing is, We'll do the rookie of the year thing at the end of the year. I'm just kind of exhausted of, of, you know, kind of – my the way I see it is with the LeBron-Michael Jordan debate. If I can't convince you one way, I'm not going to be able to convince you the other and vice versa. Like, Cade is 17-6-6. If you don't think he's the rookie of the year, I don't know what to tell you. Here's my thing with the Pistons. And, Collins, I completely agree with you. If they're able to get a second overall pick or or a third even, you know, a a top three pick just like they were able to last year because they get those top three odds – Then I think you're really looking at some you're looking at a team next year that's at least in the plan, maybe lurking in the depths of the playoffs, which is awesome. But my 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 reasoning in saying all that is you already have Cade Cunningham, he's your winning player, as you said, Collins. Then you've got your number two slash three in Sadiq Bay, you've got your number two slash three in Marvin Bagley. I think what Marvin Bagley has done already in his 10 or so games with the Pistons as he's proven that he should be re-signed in the off season. The Pistons have the money to do it. So they absolutely should. Then you've got your rim runner and Isaiah Stewart. You've got your wing scorer and Hamadou Diallo when he's healthy. You even have your like bench four guy and Kelly Olynyk. and say what you want about Jeremy Grant. I would like him dealt this off season. And I think Collins, you would agree, but you take that little core that I just mentioned. And and I also didn't even mention Killian Hayes because you know he hasn't been great he's a project but he's your backup point guard right now and he's it works so you take that core and you add in another top three pick as Collins mentioned you're looking at a team next year that can absolutely make the plan i would absolutely beat the drum four to, to hit the Vegas over for wins whatever it is next year you know this year I think it was like 34 something I thought it'd be a lock and it wasn't but uh that that's that's about all I can give I don't want to I don't want to get too far into this stuff because you know we're kind of we're kind of rearing our ugly head here as the Pistons get down the season. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Obviously, Sadiq Bey dropped 51 a couple weeks ago, so it's uh, hard to – I... Yeah, go for it, Collins.
2: I, sorry, I'm on a delay, so I don't know if I'm interrupting half the time or not. No, you're good.
1: Just... You're good.
2: Go for it. What's it called? I Every game I watch the Pistons now, and it's been like this for, I think, two months now, I enjoy it, and they play yes. like good
1: basketball. Hell yeah. Yes, they're very so enjoyable I, to watch. I, I
2: think that is the one thing – and. I know there's been a lot of Dwayne Casey stuff, but, like, I, I, ever since Sadiq kind of found his footing a couple months ago, this team's been really fun to watch, and especially since Kelly Olenek came back because they were just so beaten down at, at, at the 5-4 and four position. They needed another guy who could actually play in NBA games like Kelly Olenek. So I just – they're fun to watch. That's And I've said that the last couple episodes, but – on besides again, yeah, I just like Cade, made, like Cade gets Trey Young on him tonight in the post, and it's like, okay, mouse in the house. Most guys at that level and his thing will be like, okay, I'm gonna take him. They you know, oh. no, Cade gets doubled, finds the deep in the corner. Sadiq makes that a pass to Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph hits a wide open three. They've just been playing that type of basketball, which is good to see that, and, and they don't have the weapons to really truly make it matter. And that's why you need to like tank these last ten games. Like tonight, I I, I watched him the first half. I was like, cool. Now let's sit all our starters. Now let's like put Corey Joseph and Rodney Madruder in the backport for the second half because we need to lose this game.
1: Yeah, it is weird the way that they're kind of playing chess, not checkers, in the worst way, which is to lose games. But I, I, I Collins, I know exactly where you're coming from. I get it. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the Pistons at this point because at this point we're kind of talking about if this was a Pistons specific podcast. Of course, I would pick through the box scores of every single game of the last three weeks because we've missed three weeks. But like my my thing is my opinions haven't changed on any of these players. I still think Killian's a project. I still think he's better served coming off the bench. I still think that Dwayne Casey is questionable, although I will think he'll come back next year and he probably deserves to. And that, that's that's about where I'm at. Cade Cunningham's the rookie of the year. We'll revisit that, I'm sure, 50 more times before, you know, over the next year, whether he wins it or not. But uh, that's all I got. Pistons, you know, they got some winnable games here on the schedule. Uh, if you're like Ryan Collins, you don't want him to win. I'm not going to say I want him to lose, but I completely understand where Collins is coming from. A second overall pick or they third have to overall lose. pick
2: Keep losing
1: would absolutely speed up this rebuild. Collins is 100% right in that area. So that's all we got for Pistons, I think, Raps.
2: No, I just – I think people, Trent, have gone away from the Pistons. I just – this is like a reminder to Pistons fans. Like, they are not locked in to a top four or top three position.
1: Because yeah. they've
2: they – They have played good enough the last month and a half. Try, it, like, I know they were awful the first month of the year. But, like, just pay attention down the stretch here where they end up in the lottery. Because they've played well over the course of the last month and a half. So –
1: no, sure. I mean, in the last 10 games, they've won four of them. So I mean they're 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 literally you're you're exactly right.
2: <laughs> it's sad that we just said that. Yeah, man, they gotta stop winning. They won four out of ten.
1: <laughs> no, you're you're right though, because they are coming on strong here at the end. They're kind of like they're lions-esque in that way.
2: Oh my God, shut up.
1: They are. Okay. <laughs> okay, Ravs. This is all we got. Jumping. All right,
0: fellas. Nice uh, Pistons update there. Uh, let's move into the wings now. We will wrap up today's show with the Lions. Um, we're still a month out from that draft, but we have a lot of wings to cover. So buckle up. Um, I will welcome all questions. The floor is open, um, but we have a lot to get to. So I think the first thing that we need to talk about, obviously the trade deadline just happened. We'll get into that. That's probably where the big news lies. Um But as far as the team's performance, um, it it escapes me as far as where we left off on this team. I don't know if it was right before the Coyotes game, Rabs. It It was before the Coyotes game. Okay, great. Well, the Coyotes game did not go as planned. That was back on March 8th. um, And that was coming off of a really, really tough stretch of games. And I said that going into that stretch, too. I mean, you you actually pull out a win against the Rangers in, in the shootout. Um, you see the Avalanche, you see the Leafs, you see the Canes, you see the Lightning, you see the Panthers. So you're getting some of the league's best before coming back home and playing the Arizona Coyotes. That's a game that you probably expect to walk in the building and run all over them. And quite the opposite happened: a nine-two loss for the Wings that night. Um, not not something I care to get incredibly deep into because I'll keep moving with the whole some of the, some of the games here. Um, Thursday, I was actually at that game. My first game as a fan all year long. Thank you very much. You play the Wild. You lose that one in a heartbreaker in a shootout. That's the game that Ndelkovic essentially scored on himself. And if you had any doubts, I mean, I I wouldn't say doubts, but there were definitely some question marks around the goaltending coming off of that stretch that I just mentioned, and things did not get much better with the game against the Wild. All in all, I thought it was a really solid game. I think Nick Letty had three points in that game, which was great for his trade value. You, which we'll get into obviously a bit later in the whole Red Wing spiel, but um, you dropped that game in a shootout, which was tough. Uh, and then things did not get any easier. You go on your little bit of your Canadian, you know, Pacific West Coast swing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and once again, you're playing two of the better teams in the NHL and in, in the Calgary Flames, you lose that one, three, nothing. Um, Jacob Markstrom has been one of the best goalies in the NHL all year long. Um, I believe he leads the league in shutouts this year and you fall victim to that as well. So um, really, really tough game there to start the stretch and then you go see the Oilers you lose that one in a barn burner seven to five, and you're playing against two of the best players in the NHL and Leon dry and Connor McDavid so um, we're not going to be easy games, and you know you really didn't show up in the Calgary game. Uh, Edmonton, you see a bit more of a spark, but ultimately you lose that one. Um, you do pull out a really nice one nothing win over the Canucks on Thursday um, before you're ending the road trip in Seattle against the Kraken, who is another team that I look at in the similar vein of Arizona as a team that you can take advantage of. Uh, the Wings are up two nothing going into the third, and as the Wings have done. Really, it seems like a lot this year and a lot in recent memory. They ended up uh, letting up four goals in the third period. They lose that one four to two. So that one was crushing. Um, and, you know, from, I think, coming off of that road trip and the Wings have not been a team that has performed very well on the road whatsoever throughout throughout the entire year. Um, but with 20 games left to play before you come home and you play uh, you play Philadelphia yesterday as we're recording this podcast, Um uh, there a lot of the juice that i had had for this team faded during the road trip just because of you'd like to think that as a team goes out throughout the year that they continue to to progress and improve upon past games and and can pull themselves together and it it felt like they took a huge huge step back over that road trip and you you played a couple a couple tough teams i get it but all in all looking at you know just watching the games they just start so slow. Like every single game, it seems like you check the shots after the first period. And as of late, they've been getting outshot by a ton and Jeff Blasher will tell you too. They're playing on their heels. The Red Wings are not a team that can afford to sit back in their own end for an entire game. Cause they're defensively, you know, I know you have Mo Sider, which is who has been absolutely tremendous. And, you know, we'll talk about the Philly game in a second and a couple of the clips that went viral from him, but you can't afford to sit back in your own zone and and the goaltending as of, as of late has really not been all that tremendous. Um, Alex and has been seeing the majority of the games, but Thomas Grice has been rolled in there as of late too. He has not been very good. So you're a team that is going to have to win games by being on the offensive running downhill uh, and forcing teams to play in their own zone. And when you don't get a jump like that up front, granted, you're missing Tyler Bertuzzi for a couple of games on the road trip because of the whole, uh, vaccination situation, but when you're not able to, to keep teams in their own zone and you're not getting pressure up front and you're, you're, you're coming out flat and lazy and slow, you're setting yourself up for failure when you're, when you're a team that's built like the Red Wings and uh, they know that. And Jeff Blashill's talked about that uh, quite for quite some time here over the last couple of weeks. Um, I guess the Jeff Blaschel situation, Trent, if you can remind me to get into that after I do the whole trade deadline stuff, because I think that's something that has to be addressed today on the podcast. But um, yeah, so you come back home, you play Philly. Um, Philly is a team that was completely blown up at the trade deadline. Um, They lose their captain, Claude Giroux. Um, It's a pretty nice return there, but that is a team that lost a couple pieces at the deadline. um, And they are really, really hurting for an, an identity as of now, um, Carter Hart is, is, has not been having a tremendous year and he's, you know, their goalie of the future there in Philly. Um, I think he'll be just fine, but a tough season for them for sure. Um, but it was great to see that you get a six to three win there in your own building. Um, tomorrow, this being Thursday, as we're recording on a Wednesday, they will play the Islanders uh, before coming back home on Saturday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So um, that'll be a tough game as well. Um, but I think the more important things here, especially for the Red Wings and in the position that they're in, is to talk about some of the players and and, and player movements and whatnot. Um, one thing that I do not think that we covered um, in the time that we were away from the podcast was the fact that the Red Wings uh, claimed defenseman Ole Ulevi off of waivers from the Florida Panthers. Um, this was a really good move, in my opinion. Um, Ulevi is a guy that was drafted fifth overall in 2016, um, has been absolutely riddled with injuries in his, in his playing career. And, and, and if you look at his stats and, and where he's been, Um, I want to say that he broke into the league in like 2018, 19. Um, His first full season was with the Vancouver Canucks in 2020 and 21. And I say full season with a grain of salt because he only appeared in 23 games, registering three points um, before then being moved to Florida, where he played 10 games for them with zero points. Um, So a guy that has had a lot of trouble sticking um, and, and it's really due to injury. And that's where I think that this is a signing to me that I look at in a similar way that the Pistons did with like your Josh Jackson's of the world. It's a young guy who's got a ton of upside, who's really, really young in his career still and young in his professional career. He's 23 years old, six to 183 pounds, uh, left shot defenseman out of Finland. And, you know, to be honest with you, his, you look at his career back in juniors and there was really no question that he was going to be a a highly touted pick in that draft the year before he came over. And I guess started his professional career um, 30 or 42 points in 58 games with the London Knights in the OHL. Um, So a a really impactful career there Uh, known probably more so as like a really good skater. Um, I, I think that he's got tools on both ends of the ice. I think that the wings probably look at him as a guy that can be a puck moving defenseman on the left side, um, which they definitely need. I mean, they need help on the back end regardless. Um, I always thought that he was a tremendous skater and you really just haven't seen him take that next step in his career. A lot of it due to injury, a lot of it being in Florida where he's playing with a really good defensive core and hasn't really had the opportunity um, to get as much run. Um, but you bring him over now. And I, I think it's a great fit, at least to try him out for the rest of the season. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm kind of switching back and forth here on my cap friendly page, um, my favorite website in the world, by the way, um, I believe that he, his contract is up at the end of this year. So I don't think that you're necessarily tied to him. And if I'm mistaken on that, I apologize if you have him for another year, but um it's one of those situations to where the wings bring in a young guy that still has tremendous upside and for the last 20 games of the season you just see how he plays and if, if that's a guy that you're interested in even bringing back so um that was a move that was made um well before the trade deadline i believe he's played three games for the wings so far um maybe four he was held as a healthy scratch the other night i believe against against philly so um, and that, of course, you know, a, a lot of that has to do with some of the moves made at the trade that I'll get into in a second and Gustav Lindstrom um, being healthy to be back in the lineup. So um, a really nice move there from Steve Iserman, a, a absolutely zero risk um, all reward. If you can get that out of you, of Levy um, a guy that I'm, you know, just pulling for from the standpoint of he's a, he's a fifth overall pick and, and you haven't really seen it. And, and, and so far it's looking like bust. So, um, I hope the best for him in his career, let alone playing with the wing. So um, we'll see how he fares down the stretch. Um, and, and now I guess we can get into what we spent the last couple podcasts talking about um, the trade deadline of the NHL has come and gone. It was a really, really busy trade deadline. Um, I want to say that there were a total of 33 acquisitions that were made, which is like the, the most in a very long time at the NHL trade deadline, obviously we are only concerned with what the, what the Red Wings did. Um, So as far as moves that were made um, a day before the trade deadline, this is a guy that, that maybe we really didn't talk about as much in Troy Stetcher. And that could have been an oversight on my part Um, is a guy that was hurt for the majority of the year. And then coming back into the lineup. um, And it was kind of fighting for time playing on that third pair. Um, I, I don't exactly have the number in front of me as far as how many games he did end up getting in with the Wings this season before being moved. Um, but Troy Stetcher was traded to the Los Angeles Kings for a 2022 seventh round pick. Um, to me, uh, Stetcher is a guy that was on an expiring deal. And especially when you bring in a guy like Yulevi, and as you'll hear me talk about in a second with some more acquisitions that the Wings made on the back end and what you see coming up in the ranks uh, for next season. I, I think it was going to be very hard for Steve Eiserman to bring Troy Stetcher back as a guy that really never produced a lot for you on the score sheet. I think he fared just fine as a third pair defenseman. Um, but that's a guy who you look at when the wings signed him as another guy that actually came from, you know, Vancouver, as you love, he did in his past playing experiences. Were like, okay. It's a young guy that maybe you can get a bit more ice time. You can let him, you know, open up his game a bit and, and see how he fares. Um, definitely a steady piece to your third defensive pair. I always love when he would play with Mark Stahl. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think that this was very clear to you that Steve Eiserman felt like Troy Stetcher was not going to be a part of the future plans here in Detroit. Um, and, and I don't know what the market was for Troy Stetcher. This was clearly a depth move from the LA Kings point of view. And if you're Steve Eiserman, you get a seventh round pick people, people that look at these trades and are like, Oh, how do you not get more for Stetcher? Like, I, I, I don't like, who cares? Like if if you're really going to cry over not getting a, Rabs, fifth or a sixth, that, like, that was, like, that
1: was my, sorry to, sorry to break the silence. No, Rabs, go ahead. That, that, no, that was my thing. Cause I saw a bunch of people that were upset about that on Twitter. And I was like, dude, I okay I admittedly do not watch the wings nearly as much as I would like to nor do I watch the wings probably half as much as these people that were upset but I come on this podcast every week or almost every week and I listen to Ryan Rabinowitz talk about the red wings and I never hear Troy Stetcher's fucking name so I don't <laughs> it, like it doesn't matter is it that big of a deal
0: no it's it's not and 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 I'll kind of get into what Steve Eiserman's comments were post deadline but He's a guy on an expiring contract. If if you weren't able to reach a contract extension with him, which I don't even know if they attempted to, you might as well get something. And, and with the thought process in mind of as this trade goes down, Steve Weiserman's got other GMs on the phone. He probably knows he's getting a defenseman back in return, which he ended up doing. And Jake Wallman, we'll get to it in a second, but, it's no harm, no foul. If anything, that seventh round pick, you, you can use it. And, and, you know, you get a player and who knows, you cross your fingers and there's, you know, a handful of, of undrafted and seventh round players in, in history that have been, you know, your, your Henrik Lundqvist and your Joe Pavelski's and your guys that have turned out to be all world players. Maybe you get one of them and I wouldn't put it past Steve Eiserman, or maybe you package it and you have another asset, an asset that you're getting for a guy that wasn't going to be on this team next year. So, do I care to have? Do I care to have the argument of whether or not Troy Stetcher should have been on this team next year? No, because I don't think it was. He's. It's so inconsequential to the grand scheme of what the Red Wings are trying to do. So that's your first move. Um, I'll, I'll save like the big move for last, but I will go to one that that probably, you know, I, I think it hurts some Wings fans just because you're as time goes on, you're trying to find the guys that you like and the guys that you attach yourselves to. Um, this was a name that I believe I brought up. Uh, when we were talking beforehand about potential guys that could move at the trade deadline, um, Vladislav Nemesnikov is traded to Dallas for a 2024 fourth round pick. Uh, it looks like the wings will retain half of his salary, which means absolutely nothing because this is the last year of his deal and his contract is only for about $2 million. So no harm, no foul there by any means. This now if there's one trade that I look at and go, I wish they would they would have gotten more. This is the one out of the three trades that were made. Just because I feel like that Namesnikov has had a really solid year. Um, I thought that when the wings would put him on that first line with Larkin and Raymond, he fit well. He's not a first line player. Um, he's a center by nature, but obviously for the last you know good part of a year and a half, he's been playing on the wing. I'm not sure what Dallas intends to do with him. Um, I would say that Nemestikov has has been a nice piece of that middle six. I, again, I don't see him as a first line player, but he's been able to find the net a lot this year, which is great because you were kind of, you were kind of looking for him to be a guy that, that contribute some secondary scoring to your team. And he did do that this year. Um, I don't have his numbers in front of me, which again, I should have a million tabs open right now, guys, with these guys, I'm trying to get you some information on. So um, I don't have exact numbers for Nemesnikov, um, but he was on the score sheet a bit more than in, in, you know, the past year that you saw him with the wings, which was awesome. Uh, I, I think he has a really complete game as a two-way player. And, and this was a guy to me that I, I could have definitely seen the wings bringing back next year, as far as agreeing to a contract extension. And, you know, you really don't bat an eye because I think that he's been so serviceable for you, but I will say, Vlad Nemesnikov, it was never a guy that moved the needle for me as far as a guy of like oh you have to you have to have him he, he is a, a really solid defensively and, and, and when, in his time on the PK um you know and in the time that he does get i I think he's been absolutely fine but he, to me he's not an impact player he's and there's no business for him to really be on those top 2 lines in my opinion especially when you're completely healthy um, and that brings up uh, uh, now that I say that, too, I do need to go back and talk about something else before I talk about this last trade. I apologize for people to come in here to listen to Red Wings talk. It's all over the place. My mind's a mess, but I'm getting through it all. But nonetheless, um, Nemesnikov gets moved. I would have thought that you could have at least gotten a third round pick for Nemesnikov. Um, I think a second round pick would have been a stretch because I, I imagine that Dallas is looking at this as a guy who can provide maybe some secondary scoring, um, but just shores up their middle to bottom six, a bit more um, defensively and, and, and gives you a veteran presence in there that, that you can feel comfortable with playing on any given night. Um, the 2024 thing too, like a 2024 fourth to me, it's just like, whatever. Um, but Dallas and, and, you know, Jim Nil over there, who used to be with the Red Wings, is, is clearly looking at Namestikov as a rental. And I'm sure that conversation went as such as like, hey, we, we need this guy for, to try to make a playoff push. Um, and it's not someone that I don't think that Dallas maybe intends on bringing back next season. And if that's the case, I could 100% see Nemesnikov coming back to the wings. And I think that he's someone that really enjoyed being a Red Wing um, and, and enjoyed his time here. And you know, I don't know what Steve Eiserman's plans are for him um, but I could I could see him as someone, and I don't know how often it happens, but I could see him coming back to the Wings next year. Do I think the Wings miss a lot without him? No, I don't. I think it was one of those things where Nemesnikov came in as a guy that was going to give you some serviceable time uh, as an NHL vet, um, having a handful plus years in the league that you can kind of put a, a piece of duct tape on a on an open wound there, as far as the Red Wings trying to stay competitive. And I think that Vlad Novastikov has completely served his purpose. It um, was a pretty fun player to watch. And, you know, he was a part of the team for, you know, two years or so that I think a lot of fans grew attached to because of, because of his game and his personality. So um, wish him the best, of course. I do need to back up for a second before I do this last trade. And I'm so glad my brain remembered this. The Wings, I, and just some really gutting news, I don't, I didn't know when it happened during the Minnesota game, but the wings will lose Robbie Fabry for the foreseeable future with a torn ACL. This is Robbie Fabry's third torn ACL. If my research is correct, I believe he tore the same, he tore his ACL on the same knee two times. And this is now the first time tearing his ACL on his other knee just, just truly gutting because he was having such a great year. And you go all the way back to when that trade was made with the St. Louis blues. That's a little bit of foreshadowing here. Jacob De La Rose, who many wings fans probably don't even remember for Robbie Fabry, straight up Jacob De La Rose is now playing. I believe he's playing over in the SHL. He's not even in the NHL anymore at this point. And Robbie Fabry had just been excellent for your team. A guy that can play center, but you use him on the wing um, for the for the better part of his time here. Um, completely competent two-way player, has a little bit of sandpaper, is not afraid to mix it up, and has really found his scoring touch, and it's been elevated a lot with Bertuzzi being on that second line with him. I think the Bertuzzi, Suter, and Fabry line completely changed the entire dynamic um, of your team once you are able to get Jacob Vrana back and you moved up. Vladislav Nemestikov to that first line, it completely opened things up. Even if with Zadina on the first line, I think that you were so comfortable with that second line and how how well they were producing on the score sheet. Let alone that their defensive play. Um, so your heart just breaks for the guy. I mean, he's already battled through two torn ACLs. He's adding another one on top of this, and in, in, in the recovery time, I know it's a long and grueling process. And I don't even—I couldn't even tell you when they're expecting to get him back. He's obviously done for the year. I don't know if he'll be ready for training camp in the summer. I doubt it. Um, but it just sucks. And I—and I, and I don't know how much Fabry going down. My first thought when Fabry went down was, okay, maybe maybe a guy like the Mesnikov is going to stick on the team because you're losing the piece of your top six, and Vlad can play in that role for all intents and purposes. Maybe you don't want to move him because. You're afraid that if you let him go without having Fabry there, it makes your team far less competitive. Maybe you're now looking at bringing back Nemesnikov for another year because you probably won't have Fabry for the majority of the year next year. So just, just crushing. I, I I feel for the guy and for the sake of the team too, just a really, really shitty blow that they get. Um, I wish him a speedy recovery because they're going to need him back in the lineup next year. So a little bit of a speed bump for this whole Rebuilding process for Steve Eiserman, but I will wrap things up with the trade talk um, with the biggest trade that the wings made um, one that I don't think surprised anyone as far as the pieces in the trade. So the Red Wings trade Nick Letty and Luke Witkowski to the St. Louis Blues for Oscar Sundquist, Jake Wallman and a 2023 second round pick. The wings will retain 50% of Nick Letty's salary. Nick Letty was a guy coming down the stretch that you're like, God, what, what is this guy's value? Because he's a minus a million this year. He really hasn't produced a ton on the score sheet. He did have a three point night, I believe against the wild when I was there, which was awesome. Um, But with that being said, I think Nick Letty was a bit of a disappointment as far as what his production was for this team. But I will say it is a veteran presence and a guy that was on the power, a staple of the power play. You know, I think that his numbers were a bit deceiving. I don't think that Nick Letty was some absolute disaster of a player. Um, I thought, you know, he might have been a bit underwhelming on the score sheet, but nonetheless, um, a guy that, you know, served his role here on the wings. And I think everyone knew when he came over that this was going to happen eventually of, you know, once his contract was up, which it's up after this year, that he was going to be a guy that was going to move. And there were plenty of teams out there looking for defensive depth. St. Louis was one of them. Um, So they, they get a veteran presence on the blue line that can play on the power play um, that's had tremendous success in the league as far as playoff runs and Stanley cups and whatnot. Um, So I think, you know, from the blues point of view, I guess it, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, Luke Witkowski, people love Luke Witkowski because he's got the beard and he's a scrappy guy and he likes to fight and he can play forward. He can play D he's from Holland, Michigan. He played at Western Michigan. Um, you lose nothing there. I am just, you know, there are, I don't think that there are people, there are probably Red Wings fans out there that didn't even remember that Luke Witkowski was on the team. I think he only played one game for the wings this year. So, um, for whatever reason that the blues wanted him great, you know, hopefully he gets some time to play, um, in the NHL a bit more and, and, and be, you know, playing that kind of like enforcer role if that's what they were looking for out of him. Um, so, w- with those two guys, you don't lose much. Steve Eiserman talked about uh, actually trying to reach a contract extension deal with Nick Letty, which I, to me, I was kind of scratching my head a bit. And I, the only thought on that was hey, you, you get to keep a, a guy around that can continue to mentor the young guys. Um, and Steve Eiserman had very high praises for Nick Letty as far as how he mentored Mo Sider and some of their younger defensemen. Um, and they were not able to reach a contract extension. I don't know how much Nick Letty thinks he he should be making. Um, but I think the thought process definitely was that the wings were probably looking to lock him down for for one, maybe two more years on a on a pretty cheap price tag. And you know, give Nick Letty credit. He's betting on himself and thinks he can get more. So um, I'm to be honest with you, I'm I'm pretty glad that things worked out the way that they did because I think you get really, really, really good return here. I wouldn't call this an absolute fleece job by Steve Iserman, um, but I think the ret- the return was, was tremendous. And starting with that 2023 second round pick, you actually gave up your 2023 second round pick to get Nick Letty when that trade went down. So the fact that you're able to recoup that and it's essentially just a wash for what you gave up is fantastic. Like second round picks Matter. It's obviously a, you know, and depending on how the blues fare in the 2023 season, that pick could move, you know, up and down and whatnot. But nonetheless, to, to, to acquire a pick like that and get it back in your pocket, it's was just great. And to me, it's the best part of the the entire trade. Um, two guys that you're bringing into the mix, Jake Wallman as a defenseman. Um, this goes back, and I was, I was surprised when Steve Eiserman was talking about Jake Wallman and how the, 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 he had eyes on him all the way back to his days at Providence College. Um, Jake Wallman's 26 years old, left shot defenseman, 6'1", 201 pounds. Um, I, I'm going to go back in a second once I, once I read off uh, the stats for everyone else here. Um, he broke into the league in the 1920 season as far as the NHL is concerned. Just one game for the Blues. Um, pretty solid points in the 1920 season with the San Antonio Rampage of the AHL. 27 points in 57 games. He had 24 games played in the next season with the Blues, and he's had 32 games played in the show uh, with the Blues this year, registering six points, and he has a plus-three rating. Um, Wallman's a guy that has been kind of buried on that St. Louis Blues depth chart as far as defenseman goes, uh, more so of a third-pairing defenseman defenseman um but again is 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 the theme with many of the guys that eiserman's picked up he's a left shot defenseman which which they've needed um and i think that they're going to pair him primarily with gustav lindstrom on that third pair it sounds like which which to me is great um really really strong skater jake wallman uh drafted in the third round in 2014 by the blues um, I believe he won a national championship in Providence too, but at uh, it, it, it 26 years old, and like I said, once I, uh, once I wrap up talking about this last player here, I'll get back to as far as contracts are concerned, but um, another young guy who is a really good skater. Um, I, I, I think that the wings really like his puck moving ability. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, to me, you get rid of an older guy in Letty and you bring Walman in and, and give him a shot with it with a decor that's only going to get younger as these younger guys move up. Um, and, and he's essentially got a 20-game trial going into next season to see, you know, hey, is, is this a guy that we want to keep around? And, you know, it, it could be a, a piece that you could use in the AHL, depending on, you know, how things shake out with the roster next year. If the Wings decide to bring him back, again, I do need to check on if he is coming back contractually next year as it is. Um, but I think that you get a left-handed shot to replace Nick Letty and you're, and you're moving on and you're feeling good. And that's the price that you have to pay to take on that second round pick back. Um, the guy that I'm most excited about Oscar Sundquist, um, Sundquist has, is has, has been a part of the, the blues organization for a while now. And I believe he was on, he was on the Stanley cup team as my computer is now frozen as I'm trying to pull up his exact numbers here, uh, 28 years old. He, he is a centerman by trade, but. As you heard Steve Eiserman talk about in his press conference, um, they were really looking for someone to fill the void on the right side. Um, so he will play right wing for your Red Wings going forward. Uh, 28 years old, six foot one, 209 pounds. It looks like right, 209. I'm back on. I don't know where where his where his thing just went. As my computer is freaking out because I have a million tabs open. Um, but I like the fact that he's Swedish bringing them over. You're starting the, you know, how, how sweet it is. I remember that great post that the wings used to have with Holmstrom and Samuelson and all those guys. So um, you're bringing in a big body on the right side, not going to blow you away on the score sheet. Um, he did register a, an empty net goal and an assist in the game against Philly. Um, but I think that when you look at maybe if, if you want to look at him as a guy that's replacing the Mesnikov, I think the area where Sunquist really stands out is he's a bigger body um, he plays that right wing, and as Steve Eiserman said, they've been looking to fill that void for a bit now. Um, so you get that big-bodied right winger that is is really to me like a perennial third-line checking line player um, that can throw his weight around, and I think gives you a bit more sandpaper in the lineup than Domestikov did. Again, the the scoring touch really hasn't been there, and you know I can try to pull his numbers back up in a second here. Um, Cause they did just fall off my computer. Give me a second. Um, but he's under contract for one more year after this year. I do know that. So um, if you want to look at that as like a move for an straight up, um, you know, you might lose a bit of production on offense, but I think this is a really, really solid pickup to, to have on your third line or in your bottom six, or I would say as high as your second line. Um, Yeah. 6'3", 209 pounds. Uh, I got to keep moving here for his, for his stats. Hang on. What do you have in St. Louis? 15 points in 41 games for St. Louis this year. Again, not a guy that's going to blow you away on the score sheet. His, his best year was actually the 18-19 season with the Blues. He had I, this computer, guys. I, I've had this computer for a while. I hate how this happens to me because I'm just filling time. Uh, 31 points in 74 games in, in the 18-19 season was probably his, his best point production season. Um, nine points in 25 playoff games. Uh, when the you know, and then the obviously the blues end up winning the Stanley Cup that he was a part of there. So um that's a nice piece to have, especially with with losing some of that sandpaper in the lineup with with Robbie Fabry. Um I'm excited to see Sunquist play again. Already two points in his first game, granted an empty net goal. Um, but he's in under contract for one more year after this year. So um I that's not a move that Steve Eiserman makes if if he didn't like what he saw in Oscar Sunquist. Like to me, that's not a guy that, like, oh the blues are like, hey, like take this guy so we can Bring Letty on, or you know, we don't like. I I think that it was, you know, Steve Eiserman likes what he sees in this guy. I mean, you're getting a 6'3", 210 pounder over a you know 5'11", 190 pounder in Vlad Nemestikov that plays on the wing, um, and can add a can add a bit of defensive production from you. I mean, he's a really solid penalty killer, um, and I think that the wings will will really enjoy using him, um, on the on the PK as well, but. I think you definitely sure up a, a piece and, you know, looking back at teams that Steve Eiserman's built in Tampa Bay um, you know, I having, having a big guy like that, that can, that can eat up minutes for you and you can rely on defensively. And, you know, I, I, I we'll see how much his scoring production improves um, from that standpoint, but, Those are the moves you make at the deadline. Um, And I know we've been going for a long time here on wings, but to wrap things up, I think the guys that you might've been surprised that didn't get picked up uh, Mark Stahl being one of them who congratulations to him just celebrated playing his 1000th game Um, that happened over the road trip and the wings had a very, very nice ceremony for him um, when he returned to Detroit at home. Um, So congratulations to him, a tremendous accomplishment. The Stahl brothers are a staple in the NHL and have been for a long time. So you know, I, Mark Stahl's contract is up after this year. Uh, maybe with not being able to get Letty, maybe they turn their focus to bringing Mark Stahl back for another year for a very, very low price. Um, to be honest with you, I like Mark Stahl, and I think that he adds a really important element to the locker room. Uh, I don't think that there is a need to bring him back. And maybe I'm not looking at the numbers properly as far as what they still have left on D because I know that having a veteran presence in the room on defense and having a guy that can, or that has been in the league for a while is important to Eiserman on the back end. Um, I would be surprised if they let him walk and then go sign um, another guy of, of similar makeup, as far as, you know, age and tenure in the league and, the, the things that Mark Stahl brings to the table, you know, namely being his defensive component. I mean, he's one of the few guys on your team this year that has a, a positive rating as far as plus minus is concerned. So um, maybe may a bit of a shock that he wasn't moved. Um, and to me, that might that m- might tell me that there's a contract extension in the works there. Um, I don't know for sure. Um, or like I said, Steve Eiserman, not a guy that's going to, that's going to, you know, just trade guys for the sake of trading them. Um, so the price not, might, not have, might not have been there. I don't know what teams were interested in him and whatnot. The only other guy I would say that was a surprise, and I won't even mention like the pipe dreams of, oh, maybe Zadina is getting moved. But I, the only other guy would be Thomas Grice. Um, the, the goalie movement, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury was the big move to Minnesota. Um, it, it didn't seem like there were as many teams as you might have thought that were making big moves to, to, to add goaltending depth. Um, Grice was like an easy name to throw out there because he's an experienced guy. He's, you know, he's older. Um, he's, his contract is up after this year. So it would definitely be a rental in the same way that Nemestikov would be a rental for Dallas. Um, I highly doubt that the, the, the market was in the Red Wings favor with Thomas Grice. He really hasn't had a tremendous year in the pipes and with having Alex Nadelkovich and rightly so that they're not playing Grice as much. Um, and in the games that Grice has been and they've been very, very forgettable games. So that's the only, only the two guys that, like, I think you maybe could have, you definitely could have made a case for getting traded. Um, and for the reasons that I just explained, it just, it, it clearly just wasn't there. Um, so, you know, I, I think no harm, no foul on that point. I, I don't know if Thomas Grice comes back next year. Um, you know, I, I think the wings maybe look at Calvin Pickard as a guy that can step into that backup role. I think he's been having a pretty solid year in Grand Rapids. Um, if not, then, you know, maybe it is grace for one more year. Maybe they go out and get a different backup goalie. Um, you know, I don't, Sebastian Costa doesn't seem like he's necessarily ready to make the jump yet of the goalie that you just drafted, obviously. Um, so, you know, between him and Stahl and Gagne too, again, another guy who I don't think you were probably getting the value that you wanted for, I would have no problem with Sam Gagne coming back next year as a guy who is really on pace to outscore Phillips Adina this year, believe it or not. Uh, tremendous penalty killer, tremendous guy in the locker room, seasoned veteran, um, and still a really solid player at his age. So, um, I could see that being the case. Um, as far as contract or deals that I that I wanted to mention that I did not talk about earlier. So, yeah, there's one more year on Oscar Sunquist deal. He's making two point seven five mil. Um, and then if you look at the side of Jake Wallman, he is a restricted free agent after this year, as is Oliu you levy. Um, so the wings will have some decisions to make on the back. end as far as who they'd like to bring back um, out of that group, um, I'm trying to think of what else I can touch on here. Um, other than that, as far as the t- team makeup now, um Taro Hiroshi got pulled up. He, he looks pretty good in the couple games that, that he's gotten to play. Um, so, you know, he was a guy that was in, in the morning skate for Philly. Um, was penciled in on that fourth line. He ended up being a healthy scratch for Sam Gagne. So um, I don't know how much run Taro Hirose will get on the team this year, just given, you know, know, some of the guys like Giovanni Smith still needs to get some more time. Sam Gagne is a guy that you're not going to healthy scratch very often, if at all. Um, He'll be able to go back and play with Grand Rapids um, when it comes playoff time. Um, Joe Valeno is another guy that will be able to go back to Grand Rapids and, and play with them come playoff time as well. Um, but other than that, I mean the lines that you've rolled out as of late. Uh, you know, Z- Zadina is back up on that first line as of the Philly game, uh, in you know an- another game where he did absolutely nothing, which is heartbreaking. Um, I don't know what the plan is for Philip Zadina. I would have to imagine they extend him um, or at least tender him a qualifying offer to make him eligible to come back next year. Um, just for the standpoint of you invested such a high draft pick in them. And I don't think that the wings are trying to go quietly with letting him go. Um, that's a guy, maybe you hope that plays his ass off next year and you're like, okay, here's a guy that can be a piece or you move him. Um, But I would, I would anticipate him, you know, being signed beyond this year. Giovanni um, Smith is getting some more time now that the, the couple pieces have moved and injuries and whatnot. You're still waiting. I mentioned Stevens to come back. Um, Jacob Vrana has been an absolute, just a gem coming back into this lineup. Unbelievable goal the other night um, Larkin feeds him and he hits a one-timer home was just tremendous. So he's been um, a, a breath of fresh air for this team. who's was a true, true top six player um, and looking forward to the rest of the season with him. Um, other than that, guys, I've been talking for a while and I don't know how many people are still listening to the podcast. I don't even know if you guys are still there. Um, so with, with that being said, I guess I will, uh, I can table, I can table roster talk and whatnot. Um you know, there's there's still a lot of time left in the season to analyze line combinations and who's playing well, who's not, and and who's getting more time and in what roles as a result of a couple of the movements that have been made by the Red Wings as of late. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. This is not a playoff team this year. Um, and, and it just is what it is. They play in the toughest division in hockey, in my opinion. Um, so yeah. with that being said, I, I did want to touch on a couple more things that Steve Eisenman said in his press conference that I thought were important. And I'll wrap that into talking about Jeff Blashill. And then I will open the floor. If you guys have anything to add and we will move on to the lions. Um, a couple things that Steve Eiserman mentioned, I think it's really important to, to understand at the trade deadline, you know, the, the Red Wings are a team, you, you look at who you have on your roster and it, the, the, the easiest way to, to describe it and the, the easiest hack to understanding the trade deadline is really looking at contracts and which guys are on expiring contracts and you have to make the decision as a GM of do you want to extend a guy like this or do you want to you know, take your risk and allow him to explore free agency and think you can get him back, which is always dangerous because if a guy goes out in free agency and, you know, one team wants to offer him this and it's higher than what you want to offer him, you get into that kind of trouble um, or you, you pull the move that the Red Wings did and they were looking to move expiring contracts and they did that. They moved three expiring contracts. As I said, you're probably looking at Thomas Grice and Mark Stahl as two guys that, you might have also wanted to move that maybe the market wasn't there or you didn't get the return that you thought that you were gonna be able to get on them. So you want to hold on to them, you know, whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, but you know, Steve Eiserman made a comment about where the rebuild is at, and and he really said that, you know, it's there, he feels that they're three to four years away from having a really strong nucleus of players. And I don't want that to necessarily scare people, but I think that he's right in the sense of. You know, you look at your Albert Johansson's. you look at your Simon Edvinsons, you look at your Teddy Niederbox or Liam Dower Nielsen's, um, just guys off the top of my head, I'm mentioning that are prospects in the system that are still have some time to develop. And that's the thing with the NHL is it's not always the best for these guys to all right, we're going to throw you up at the NHL and let's see how you do. You know, there's, there's other avenues and ways of developing talent. And, you know, with the Red Wings have been so successful so far with their Swedish prospects historically. Um, Now that you have Nick Lidstrom at the helm, um, you know, up in the front office and Nicholas Cronwell as well, I'm more than confident with their feel for these guys playing over in Sweden. Um, But I think to Steve Eiserman's point, you know, I I think that in three to four years, he, he feels like the younger core that is still maybe not totally in the NHL yet by that time, will have been developed to the point where, okay, this is the team. This is the team we're moving forward with. I think Steve Eiserman still has some question marks he has to answer as far as some of these fringe guys, as far as what their future is on this team. Um, but to, to, to say that the Red Wings have not made tremendous strides in this rebuild would be just disingenuous. You have a true first-line winger in Lucas Raymond. You have a true number-one defenseman in Moritz Seider, who if you watch the Philly game – He's got the two unbelievable highlights of, you know, him with the reverse check at the red line, just bodying a guy and then turning the puck over a bit in the guy's feet, but you know, stealing the puck back, knocking him over, throwing a saucer pass across the ice. He's just been absolutely tremendous. And it's only going to get better when Simon Edmondson comes over. And that's a conversation for another day as far as what guys are coming up to North America next year, what guys are coming to North America at the end of this year, which we can talk about next week, perhaps. Um but there's still a couple of years away. I think that this team will be in the playoffs next year. I just have that, you know, I, if, if Alex and Dalkovich can get right and they can, you know, if you see a guy like Edmondson come up and, you know, you get healthy again and, you know, Mitchell Stevens is still here and, you know, who knows what they're going to do next year, but I, I think that they can make a real wild card push next season. Um, but obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. The last thing I'll talk about here before we wrap it up is Jeff Blasio. And, and, and the, we've had this Jeff Blasio conversation Every year for it feels like the last five years, and I think at this point, deservedly so. And th- those things, of course, when the team's losing, it comes up. But you know, over the road trip, when you're when you're blowing a game to the crack and, and you're letting up four third period goals and you're losing these games. Uh, on the canadian swing and it just looks like you know there's just not much juice to this team that's when the question marks come up and he was and steve Eiserman was asked about jeff Blashill's future in the press conference after the trade deadline um you know he kind of kicked the can and said you know we're here to talk about the deadline and you know jeff and i will talk and we'll figure it out down the road um i really think that Steve Eiserman likes Jeff Blaschel a lot. I think that the guys in the room respect and like Jeff Blaschel. I think that he is a guy that that, the players respect and enjoy playing for. Um, He's never really been regarded as a big X's and O's guy. And, you know, I think that there is a very, very real argument of like, okay, maybe the message is stale, or is he really getting the best out of his players? And, 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 you know, you can maybe look at a guy like, as Michael Rasmussen has been getting better, you know, he's helping that cause of you know player development on Jeff Blashill's. And you know, Phillips Adina, you may be going, like, how are you not getting, you know, is there something missing with Phillips Adina? Or is Jeff Blashill not getting something out of him? You know, that I don't know. It's such a complicated question, but there are times when you see this team this year as much success as they've had and as have they they've truly gotten better. Sometimes you look at this team and you're like, damn, like they, you know, they don't, they don't have it tonight. They're getting outshot a ton. They're on their heels. The power play hasn't gotten much better in Jeff Blashill's tenure here. And, and a lot of it's a personnel thing, but when you have a guy like Lucas Raymond now and Mo Sider and like a, a veteran and Nick Letty on your blue line in the power play, and you know, you're still ranking in the bottom of the league of, of power play, you know, efficiency, you got to look at the head coach and I get it. And, you know, to me, if if Jeff Blashill is extended beyond this year, by no means am I looking at this and going, like, you know, like this is a stupid move. It's silly. Like, what's going on? I don't look at it like that because the wings have gotten better from last year to this year. They've shown you moments where they can play really, really good hockey. And I think that Jeff Blashell is a guy that is respected in that locker room. And I still think that he still has that respect, or else he would not be here. He is one of the longest tenured head coaches in the NHL, believe it or not. But I will say there is an element to all of this to where you're looking at this Wings team now and, you're like, OK, they're, they're kind of on the cusp of turning things around where you're maybe looking for a guy that can that, that is able to extract more and, 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 and get something out of this power play or something's got to give at some point or, you know, maybe. I don't want to say the message is stale, but sometimes just the new voice in the room kind of gives them an extra kick in the ass. I'm like, okay, you know, here we go. Like, look at Vancouver, Vancouver brings in boost Boudreau, a known players coach. And that team takes a, a lost season to now they're, you know, now they're something real. So, you know, that, that could be the case with Jeff Blashill, and I, I would totally understand it. And, you know, I think that sometimes it's okay not to have an opinion on things. And this is one of those things to me where, you know, I will at least, bow my head and say, okay, I, I get where that, that camp is coming from of they want Jeff Blasio gone. I get it. I see it. I understand the frustration because it seems like as, as, as much as this team has progressed from last year to this year, there are still a lot of glaring things that need to be fixed and, and have not, and I don't want to say haven't been addressed, but it just, it, it, you know, you, you want more, you're looking for more and you, you, you're getting that out of some of your young players, but from the team as a whole, you know, it, it hasn't been there. We're, we're having same conversations about lack of goal scoring, getting scored on a ton, not having a great power play, penalty kill being average, blowing leads late. These are things that we've talked about for years now. So I get it. Who the answer is a coach. I don't have an answer for you. I don't know who's out there. Things are, you know, people move around and guys leave jobs and, and things happen. So that's yet to be seen. But again, I'm not, it is what it is. So, yeah, I, I don't have much more for Wings talk. I've been talking forever, but it was a big you know big week with the trade deadline, and we haven't talked Wings in a while. So that's all I got. If anyone else has anything to add, great. If not, we can move on.
1: I do not. I am going to turn What's over it the
0: called? Rabs. What's up?
2: Would you rather the Wings went out and got Gerard lot last year, or would you rather have Jeff Flash for another year?
0: Yeah, I would rather have Gerard Gallant. I mean, he, you've seen – Didn't weeks. we talk about – we talked about this last year, though, and they decided yeah. – I don't
2: – and I get – I, I, it's pretty easy to coach the New York Rangers these days with all the talent they have on that roster. So I'm not going to act like it's the same challenge that Jeff Laschel has in Detroit. I'm just saying I feel like Gerard Gallant has proven at multiple stops that he is able to get the most out of his four lines. And Jeff Blashill, the wins have improved. I think it also comes with the fact that you have a stud rookie defenseman and a stud rookie scorer, and your captain took a huge step. And I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with Jeff Blashill.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I know we talked about him being a guy that could uh, that could potentially take over the coaching range if Jeff Blashill were to um, be removed from his spot. And obviously knew the Rangers picked him up, and there was no – Coaching vacancy in in Detroit, so you know, and that's a jar Gallant played for the Wings. I, I'm pretty sure he played when, when Steve Eiserman played here as well in that same type of era. Um, yeah, yep. I mean, he's he's had tremendous success with the Rangers. That Rangers roster, you know, they went through a, a, a rebuild that was, was kind of not as not as significant as the Red Wings. They kind of put the pieces back together um, a bit more quickly, and you know, they were helped by having you know back to back years of incredibly high draft where You get Lafreniere and Capo Caco. Not that Alexi Lafreniere has been all that special so far, um, but yeah, I mean, that's a guy that I, you know, especially in hindsight, what you would like to have and who knows where this team is um, with him at the helm. I just think that Steve Eisenman is, 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 has a good feel for where his team is right now. And, and understanding that there's still, you know, a couple seasons and off seasons away from really putting the pieces together and figuring out who the young core is. that's going to drive this team for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and, and, and it wasn't a priority on his list to, to make a move and shake up the, the coaching situation. So I would, you know, I would actually, I would not be surprised if this was Jeff Blasho's last year here. I, I wouldn't, um, but I would not be mad if he was back for another year. And I just, again, I don't think that the team is there yet to where you can justify, okay, the coach is killing them. I don't think it's there, but I, I hear the other side. I hear the argument. So that's where I'm at. And uh with that, I guess we can move on to Lions talk. Even it's like the funny thing with the NFL, first of all, and I know we're a Motown Rundown podcast, we talk about the Lions, but there has been so much going on in the NFL with quarterbacks moving around and, and you know, Tyreek Hill gets traded today and so many different things. If anyone wants to talk about anything, go ahead. But I think the priority here is obviously the Lions. The draft is still like a healthy month away. And it's funny because like, it feels like that we talk about the NFL draft for so, so long because everyone loves football and there's always so much to talk about. So um, I know Trent will probably take us through a lot of the, the moves that the lions made as far as re-signing and signing and um, all that good stuff. And then we can talk about, you know, a little bit of the draft at the end, but I guess Trent, I'll turn it over to you so I can take a breath here and we can, you know, get someone else in the mix.
1: Well, yeah, I, uh, by the way, great job on the wing stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of people that really appreciate that. Um, I, I will say here's what the lions have done in the last, you know, three weeks since we've talked, they brought back Charles Harris. And that was a big priority for me. That was one of the probably seven things on my off season checklist of things you must do. This is a guy who had 65 tackles last season, seven and a half sacks, and you get them for great value, two years, 17 million. So it's kind of like, Hey, the Lions are in this spot where they came on strong last year. You know, they're going to roll into next year with somewhat of an easier schedule. And they're going to try to, like, you know, make some stuff happen here. And the division has shaken up a little bit since we've last talked as well. But um, it, I, I just think that's great value. That was a guy that played his ass off for Dan Campbell. This guy was vocal all year about how he loves Dan Campbell. You have to bring him back. Now, Tracy Walker, you bring him back on a three-year $25 million deal. I would have given him even more if he wanted it. Because I just have, and and I think all three of us have kind of been in agreement that Tracy Walker has never been the problem back there in the secondary. We're talking about a Lions secondary that's kind of been shaky for, shaky at best for the last three years, and Tracy Walker has been one of the very rare Bob Quinn slash Matt Patricia guys that has panned out. So you give him three years, twenty five million, you know, just over seven million a year. He's He's uh, he's serviceable. He's very, he plays hard. He hits very hard. This is a big thing. And then, you know, I I'm of the, you know, we'll get into the draft stuff later and next week and the week after that and everything. But I want to take Kyle Hamilton in the first round, which is why I am all in on keeping Tracy Walker. Cause I think he just needs a competent guy back there with him. Uh, you know, someone other than J Ron curse or Will Harris. I need someone back there who's a stable athlete who, who can actually compete on Tracy Walker's level. Then you, as far as guys, you sign, rabs. I, uh, there's been a few, but I want to talk about the two main ones. That's DJ Chark, one year, 12 million. You bring him into basically great signing, this great signing Collins. I completely agree. You bolster your wide receiver room, which was the weakest room going into last year. And it probably still is, but you see the chemistry that Amin Ross St. Brown and Jared Goff were able to build towards the end of the season. And then you also bring back Josh Reynolds. And then you bring Chark in to be kind of your quasi number one. So I love that move. You didn't overpay, it's a prove it deal because the one problem with Chark is his health. So you basically say, Hey, we're gonna bring you in for one year. We'll give you 12 million dollars. And if you perform well, we will bring you right back because we have the money to do it. And if there's one thing we know about the lions, they have a lot of money all the time because they're just lions. Next, Mike Hughes, cornerback, one year, three and a half million. Similar situation. It's like, hey, dude, you've been good. You know, you've been all right in your last few years. If you want to come back here and you want to play in a, a, a banged up, you know, secondary group that features Jeff Okuda and, and Amani Orowarie, who finna, I think he missed the last three or four games of the year. Like, come on, be our guest. I don't know. He's going to be a top three corner on the roster probably, and he's going to come in here and hopefully – fit right in with this culture that the Lions are trying to build. So I don't see the Lions overspending in any of these areas. In fact, I think they even underspent for Walker. I would have given him more. Collins, you mentioned that Shark was a good signing. I think so too, especially given the value. And Charles Harris, that was just a guy that I absolutely wanted back. So overall, you know, of course, there's the Alex Anzalone's of the world that you bring back, whatever. You know, he's a captain, good guy, going to contribute going forward. I'm not sure how much his playing time is going to change. But that's really all I have on the Lions. I'm just – I'm completely pleased with what uh, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have been able to continue to put together, this culture. It seems like people want to come here. You know, you hear DJ Chart talking about how the culture was the biggest reason he signed here. And that's just – I 100% believe it because I think there are plenty of teams that could have given him $12 million for a year. So that's that. I am all in on that. If you guys have any thoughts. I
2: right. I was surprised they didn't sign Allen Robinson. And I'm not saying good or bad. I just thought that was going to happen.
1: Yeah, it seemed it like that was, seemed that was a thing that was definitely going to happen for a
2: while. Well, I was just surprised it didn't happen. It's whatever. I like Shark honestly, for what you got him and the investment you made in him for more. I still think they need to draft a wide receiver in this draft pretty high up. I don't know yes. if they use a first rounder on one or they use their second rounder on one. I think they need to draft another wide receiver. Um other than that, through free agency, I like the resigning of Walker, um, and what's it called? We're going to talk about it, like you said, the draft's a month away, but it sounds like, basically, I think one storyline through free agency is that Aiden Hutchinson is probably going to be the first pick in the draft, and I think the Lions now have found themselves in another situation that they were a couple of years ago, where they drafted Jeff Okuda, where they don't necessarily have a home run pick at two, and they have to make a tougher decision than they probably would like to and I'm very interested and we're going to see the different job team for the next month of what they pick and what they should do I'm just very curious because now that the Jacksonville Jaguars they I believe they franchised had Cam Robinson and signed another offensive lineman it doesn't look like they're going to take that kid from NC State or the kid from Bama at one so it looks like Hutchinson's going to Jacksonville. So it's interesting to see what the Lions do now.
0: Yeah, I as far as the signings are concerned, I think Chark's a good signing. I mean, you need to, there's obviously a needed wide receiver. And I was surprised too with not getting Allen Robinson. It's, it seemed like, you know, that was a name that could potentially come to the Lions too. And I would have been fine with either guy, to be honest. I think these are two guys that, um, in Chark and Robinson that are probably p- were playing a bit below their potential as of in, in recent memory, especially Allen Robinson. So, you know, I hope that maybe in a bit of an elevated role where, you know, you know, the eyes are on them primarily to catch balls. And obviously you have Amon Ross, St. Brown and TJ Hawkinson. But I think that the thought process is you bring these two guys in, you know, they're, 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 or if you were to bring one of the two guys in and obviously you bring in Chark, I think that they, you know, have are going to have a bit of an expanded role, knowing that they're a primary ball target versus, you know, a second, third guy in the depth chart. And it was weird that Allen Robinson like wasn't getting the ball as much. It didn't have a great year this last year with Chicago, because I think he is a tremendous talent Um, and had a very underwhelming year. So uh could be a great change of scenery for the, for, you know, Chark and, you know, Robinson, Reverend, and I'm going to, um, just for the, for the ability to kind of resurrect their careers and, and make a statement here in a year.
1: Hey, Rams. Um, Rob, Robinson yeah. went to Matthew Stafford and the Rams.
0: That's right, he did, because Robert Woods is out there, too. That's right. Woods is gone now. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, like, I to, to be honest, Trent, and maybe I'm completely off base, like, I just – Like I don't think any of the guys the Lions sign were like impact players. I you know I like I get the whole Alex Anzalone thing and he's a captain and he's been with Campbell and he's been with uh, Aaron Glenn and but like he's not a guy that is a game breaker for me. He's you know just another slower guy, older guy. Well, look, I I don't think that they've had any impact signings to be honest.
1: Okay, so Rabs, here's the thing: two things. Number one is. When you get to this situation where you are a fourth place team and you win two games, was it two or three games? I always get
0: tripped three. Up. I think.
1: I think you, you. I don't. It doesn't really matter. The point is you win a very low amount of games, and when you reach that next offseason, you're 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 not necessarily trying to like play the marathon. You're no no no. Let me, let me walk that back. You're not playing the sprint. You're playing the marathon. And the thing is, especially with Aaron Rodgers coming back, it would have been very easy for the Lions to just be like, oh, shit, like full panic mode, like Rodgers is back for another three years. We got to, like, spend money. Because literally that's what Quinn and his uh, regime did. So I am fine with this. I'm fine with building through the draft as we have seen guys like Aleem McNeil and Julian O'Quara and Derek Barnes and Jerry Jacobs, the unsigned free agent, and A.J. Parker. And these guys really get their chance Drafted by you know the the uh, this this new regime we got here in Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell, so I I turn it over to them and I let them handle most of the situation. And as far as impact signings go, Rabs, you're right in that there's no guys that pop off the stat sheet at you. But I I I, I gotta tell you, bring him back, Tracy Walker. He's been one of your most consistent. Yeah, I like players.
0: that. I got no yeah, problem with that. He's,
1: he's been one of your most consistent players, and I would say you're only above average player in the secondary from the last three years total. When you look at it, I mean, if you want to throw flukes out the window, he's been the one guy who's been constant. And then you look at Charles Harris and I just, maybe that was somewhat of a fluky of a year for Charles Harris, you know, but he's a former lottery pick, you know, he went 14th overall or 17th overall a few years ago, I want to say. So for him to, you know, have seven and a half sacks, the Lions reward him with a contract. I just, I would agree with you that there's no huge impact signings, but I think the Lions are more of the mindset of let's stay the course. We're building this thing our way. It's mostly for the draft. It's not a ton in free agency. This free agency class is not great. Let's not kid ourselves. This has been an extremely eventful NFL offseason, but that's because of a lot of trades. You know, Russell Wilson got traded. Carson Wentz got traded. A lot of these guys are, like, getting moved. It's not like there's people out there that are available. So that's just my thing. Like Tyreek Hill today, you know, that is It's not like there's wide receivers on the market like Tyreek Hill. No, you got to go trade for those guys. And the Lions aren't quite at that point. That's the bottom line. So that's all I got there. I wanted to talk Malik Willis today, but I think we should save it for next week because we do have like a month before the draft. But, you know, of course, Malik Willis to the Lions at number two or number four, whatever the case may be, if they're able to make a trade. Talks have heated up about that a little bit. You know, the Lions given their whole senior bowl week with, Malik Willis and of course his fantastic pro day where he went 65 of 69 or something like that. Just fantastic day. Uh things are heating up. But I think we can put a pin in that. We can have, we can go like full bore on that later because I think we're gonna have some strong opinions. That's just my thought.
0: Yeah, we can do it next week.
1: Yeah, and I also I, I figure we can cut the trifecta because we've been going for like an hour and a half. So I, I just we can
0: do it if you want. I, no. I wanted to ask too, Trent, are you are you beat up that Trey Flowers was been has been released?
1: No, no. Look, Trey Flowers, great guy. I love him. I mean, he was our Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, I think, for two years or something like that, whatever. Trey oh, oh, oh.
2: Flowers, I love him. Only said by Trent Valley. <laughs> yeah,
1: probably, probably. Probably. You're right, so I'll shut up. But my, I just – I didn't I, – Trey Flowers was such a scapegoat, and maybe rightfully so because he got paid so much money by a bad regime and a bad scheme – and it's like, what did he do wrong? What are you going to do? Not take the paycheck. You're going to not take the money. He wasn't great. He was a good player who was overpaid and was never going to live up to his contracts. So that, 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 that's really all I got to say on Trey Flowers. I he honestly was don't. was
2: hurt, too, like the entire time.
1: And he was, yes, exactly, Collins. I think he only played like a max of 10 games in his three years here. So, you know, whatever. Trey Flowers, I do appreciate you. I did love him um but no rabs i am not kicking myself and I, i'm not why do you
2: keep though. saying you love him
1: because i do i like i enjoyed tricking the horse. i don't, <laughs> I don't nuts, know dude all right that's my. i don't find...
2: love him though <laughs> i know you don't
1: no you i might. don't that's just the trent valley way of talking hey love you man peace like, good <laughs> to see you thanks for coming through for three years we'll see you that's all that's where i'm at
0: do we try if you have a trifecta ready we can do it we can knock it no, out let, right
1: let's way. let's hold let's hold it out let's okay, hold it because there's because i have a trifecta no no i do, i do but they're good uh-huh. questions and it's going to take probably okay. 15 to 20 minutes okay, I,
0: okay. Let's, let's, let's cut it well we can take a deep breath loaded episode thank you guys for tuning in i know we threw a lot at you today we got all four teams covered we got march madness the madness continues tomorrow um But yeah, I guess without further ado, without further ado, uh, that'll be it for today's episode of the Motown Rundown for Trent Bailey and Ryan Collins. I am Ryan Rabinowitz. Hey, submit some questions, comments, or suggest topics for the show on Twitter at Motown underscore Rundown. We are also on Facebook at the Motown Rundown page. Do not miss a single episode of the show. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us, subscribe, rate us five stars, say something nice, or do not say anything at all, people. Uh, and yeah we'll see you when we see you hopefully it's sooner than two weeks see you next time love you guys